Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Vetspective for Farmers podcast from Vet Partners, your knowledge base for all your on-farm veterinary know-how with our expert vets. My name is Amy Saran and I'm from West Point Farm Vets in the South East and in Claire's absence I will be your only host today. So each month, uh, I think you know the drill by now, a new face from Vet Partners will lead a discussion with everything from dairy herds to alpacas on the agenda. But for now, we're going to get cracking with today's discussion. Today, we're going to be focusing on the importance of biosecurity on farm, especially at this time of year as farmers commence lambing. Reducing disease at this stage is absolutely paramount to the future of farmers' flocks. We are very lucky today to have Sarah Philpott from Penbode Vets in the southwest. Now, having grown up on a dairy farm following her graduation from the University of Liverpool in 2014, Sarah headed south to explore her keen interest in infectious diseases in cattle and her passion for sheep work. So she is now heading up Penbode's Flock Health Club. Hi, Amy. It's great to be here today. I'm sorry you're missing out on Claire. I believe she's stuck on farm. So um, we're just going to get through this together, if that's all right with you. Sounds great. (laughs) All right. So to start, let's identify some of the major biosecurity challenges that farmers face at this time of year on on sheep farms. It's wet. It's cold. It's not the nicest environment. How do we make it work? So it's definitely wet and cold today. I can agree with that. Uh, We've got gale force winds outside today and torrential rain. So, um, yeah, not not a great day, but very appropriate to be discussing this. So biosecurity. It's a word that I'm sure we've all become very familiar with hearing during 2020. I thought I'd go right back to what it actually means. And um, in the Oxford Dictionary, it defines it as procedures or measures designed to protect the population against harmful biological or biochemical substances. So we could say that 2020 was the year of practicing biosecurity as a country. So what does that mean for sheep farmers during lambing? It means putting procedures in place to prevent and reduce cases of disease in our ewes and lambs occurring around the lambing period. So that means chatting with your vet to see how we can prevent diseases. Preventable diseases in ewes include nutritional diseases such as lamb disease, infectious diseases such as lameness. So I'm sure we're all familiar with foot rot and cod and infectious abortions, including enzootic abortion. Post-slamming infectious diseases, such as metritis, which is a womb infection, and mastitis in ewes. We can also include preventable diseases in lambs, which are watery mouth, joint heel, and scours, to name a few. So what measures can farmers put in place? At a recent Sheep Vet Society Congress that I attended, uh, Fiona Lovett was talking from the Flock Health Limited, and she discussed the plan, prevent, protect principles, which I think provides a brilliant framework for farmers and vets to use in preventing disease around lambing. I was just going to say that that's pretty cool because um, I had I know we deal with these sort of things every year. But I wouldn't have listed some of the things that you put in there as like biosecurity challenges. Like we see, you know, metritis and things like that more often in cattle. Um, And, you know, coming back to the basic principles, why wouldn't sheep, you know, suffer as a result of poor biosecurity around lambing time? So that's that's already like news to me. Uh, Sheep are um, incredible animals. And I think we sometimes underestimate them. And 
Yeah, I agree there totally. So tell me about this plan, protect and prevent plan. So, yeah, we've got the three P's. So plan ahead, mm-hmm. prevent disease and protect your flock. So for a successful lambing, we can apply these, the three P's. And the first one, like I said, is plan ahead. And it's um, it's never, ever too early to start planning ahead and to be well prepared for lambing. You know, you should really be thinking about lambing at tapping. All right, let's plan. So when we're planning ahead, we've got a few sections to think about. We've got to think about nutrition around lambing. We've got to think about protocols for colostrum and record keeping. We've got to think about our equipment ready for lambing. And then our personnel. Do we have enough personnel for lambing and are they trained? So if we go back to thinking about nutrition, this is an area that you can really work with your vet. So firstly, um, are you lambing inside or outside? Um, If lambing inside, what forage is going to be available uh, for for your ewes? And you want to get that forage analysed. And that's something that can really easily be done by your um, local nutritionist or agricultural supplier and ask them to run a forage analysis for you. So whether that's big bale silage or haylage. And they'll then, um, at the most basic level, determine the energy and protein levels of your feedstuff. What's the turnaround time on silage analysis? How long does that usually take? It's fairly quick. Um, Obviously, I suppose it depends on uh, how many people are asking for the service at the same time. (laughs) There's always a bit of a bottleneck around this time of year. But it should only take a, a, a week, really, I think, at the most. That's useful especially if you know for the for the larger farms that are buying you know or will be buying quite a large amount of, of concentrate feed clients should be able to get this forage analysis done for free from their supplier so your vet can then use the forage analysis to formulate a feed plan with you for your individual groups of use based on your scanning data so looking at forage plans for singles doubles and triples if you're lambing outside AHDB do have some excellent guides on maximising the use of grass. So what we're looking at is for a fit and well-fed ewe at Lamy that's going to provide good quality colostrum for her lambs. So with planning ahead, the next big area, which I'm sure any vet can talk about for hours on end, is colostrum. And uh, being a dairy farmer's daughter as well, I've grown up just having Clostrum, clostrum, clostrum just drummed into me. It's such an important thing. And you thought that it is the most important moment of a lamb's life is that first clostrum feed. I just can't emphasize that enough. We want to have protocols in place that we can maximize clostrum and minimize stress in those newborn lambs. Lambs need to receive 50 mils per kilo of good quality, fresh, warm clostrum within two hours of birth and 200 mils per kilo within the first 24 hours of life so and when, when you say warm if it's not fresh from the actual you and you're defrosting it I would like to warn against putting it in the microwave that's my big pet peeve definitely <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger and we we're getting uh, colostrum out the deep freeze for feeding newborn calves it was always you know pop it in um pop it in the sink with some warm water, you know, don't dare de- you know, defrost it in the microwave because the, the, the thing is you're going to be killing off all those antibodies, which you've worked so hard to get that colostrum in the freezer in the first place. Um, speaking of quality, actually, as well, is there a good way that we can measure the quality of colostrum in sheep if we're like saving some for the next year or whatever? 
Definitely, definitely. So um, that's, yeah, that's part of our protocols with your vet as well is, is colostrum testing. So it's so important to make sure that the colostrum you're giving your lambs is actually working and providing your lambs with those essential antibodies from the mum's colostrum. There's two different ways um, as farmers and vets we can test colostrum. The first way is with a little tool called the BRICS refractometer. And it's something that your vet should carry with them. Um, it's a great little bit of kit. So what you'll do is you'll milk the ewe and um, have that fresh, warm colostrum in the jug. And you'll pop a little bit of the colostrum on the BRICS refractometer and read the um, score, read the level from the refractometer. And you're looking at 22% or above is a, a good quality colostrum. So your vet can sample a subset of lambs for total protein to see if your colostrum protocol with your really good quality warm colostrum that you've tested is working so your your vet will take a blood sample how many lambs is a good number to sample for testing total protein um probably about 10 it obviously depends on how many lambs you've got on the ground at that point we're looking for nice happy healthy lambs not ones that are poorly or are dehydrated um, and we'll, we'll just take a, take a group of them, um, take a blood sample from each one and check for total protein status. So um, talking about colostrum, um, I know there's obviously a lot of colostrum replacers on the market or marketed as replacers or supplements. Um, but the new colostrum is gold. Um, it is number one. And if you do have that single you that's got excess colostrum left over, um, you'd be a fool not to store some of that colostrum ready for the next you that that may be a bit poorly or the lambs are a bit poorly and you don't have that colostrum available. So um, thinking back to, you know, on the, on the dairy farm as well, we, we often store colostrum for our calves and with you colostrum, you can store it in a hundred mil batches. And if you, what you want to do is to cool it quickly because if it's staying outside and it's still warm, it's just a growth for bacteria and I, I think somewhere it said if, you know, for every 20 minutes it's outside, it doubles in bacterial numbers and you don't want to be feeding a bacterial soup to your lambs. So if you've got all the excess colostrum, cool it quickly and then you can store it in the fridge in 100 mil batches at four degrees for up to a week. When is a good time to do that? When do you decide that you has excess colostrum and you're confident that its lamb won't need any more? I would first check that her lambs, are, are well fed and you can always just uh, feel the feel the belly and check that they're up and about uh, I would probably say single use are the best to go for and it would be worthwhile checking her colostrum as well using your bricks refractometer to make sure you're storing good quality colostrum oh that's that's good not at the um, expense of her, her lambs then <laughs> no no definitely not uh, you can freeze colostrum as well we talked about that earlier um so yeah you can freeze it for up to a year um, so I'd always advise popping the date of the of when you froze the colostrum on the packet and put the UID on there as well, if you can, because say, for example, in the coming year, um, that you should become poorly and she becomes tested for, for Yoni's disease. Then we don't want to be feeding that colostrum next year to next year's lambs. And do you just keep colostrum for one year? Uh, yeah, I would say keep it frozen for up to one year. Uh, so um, I wouldn't keep it much longer than that just because the quality may start to diminish in the freezer. You can use cow colostrum. You can give about 10% more volume. But the thing to note with cow colostrum 
is that it can cause a breakdown of the sheep red blood cells. So um, we do advise perhaps using pooled colostrum from several cows will reduce this problem. Ideally, these donor animals will be from your herd. So they have the same antibodies um, to the same pathogens as what your lambs will experience. And ideally that they'll be vaccinated against clostridial disease as well. Uh, and they should also ideally be screened for Yoni's disease because cow colostrum can also contain Yoni's, which we don't want to be feeding to our lambs. And do you screen the animals or do you screen the milk or colostrum? Uh, you'd be looking at screening the animals. That's good to know. I like to think of farms as like their own personal ecosystems. So you want to, if you are get, getting colostrum from an external source, you've got to think you're basically bringing antibodies in that might not necessarily correlate with the ones that are on your farm. Um, and I suppose that goes into also not storing it for too long because your whole ecosystem might change over the course of two or three years. Definitely. The other part of planning ahead is actually looking at our record keeping. And this is really important to get this in place before you start having good records. It's not only important for our farm assurance, but will help you and your vet work out where improvements can be made for next year's lambing. So we're looking at in the lambing shed, the number of sort of wet dead lambs versus dry dead lambs, lambs lost to sort of watery mouth, scours or joint till. And with my clients with the Pembode Flock Health Club, we've made an easy to use laminated tally chart that farmers can pin up to their lambing shed wall, along with a white a whiteboard marker. So our clients will tally the losses during the week. So they'll start on a Monday and as the week goes on, they'll tally if a, if a lamb should die for whichever reason. At the end of the week, clients can take a photo uh, of the tally sheet and store it on their phone until we're ready to use it and then wipe it clean, ready to start the week again. At the end of lambing, we can use that data to discuss how successful lambing was and to anonymously benchmark against other flocks in the area. Oh, that's really handy. I, I think a lot of the feedback that I get about data and the ha handling of data and collecting data is that lambing can be so frenetic that they just do not have time. Um, so just with just that small amount of criteria, that is enough, is it, to, to form the plan for next year? Definitely. I think, you know, it's we can't let that dead lamb go to waste. Every dead lamb is costing the farmer between 20 to 25 pounds. It's cost them that much to get that lamb on the ground at that point. So to then chuck that lamb in the dead bin uh, and not make use of it is, is such a waste. If we're going to lose lambs, we need to make sure we, we're losing them to, to then hopefully improve that next year and, and get on top of it. Okay, so a whiteboard is a really, really great idea or white clean sheets and yeah. using technology, using the phone and, you know, even just sending the photos straight to the vet. So we've got it on, on record is is invaluable. Definitely. I mean, most clients now will have a smartphone, even um, sort of the most basic of phones have got a camera function. Or even if it's just a case that, you know, perhaps another member of staff will note it down in a notebook and then, you know, wipe it again and start again. But by having it on the wall of the shed, you know, perhaps above the, the dead bins, you know, you put a lamb in, you tally it, you put a lamb in, you tally it. And it, it's just, you know, just it's only takes an extra five seconds of the day. No breakfast until you've filled your chart in. <laughs> I'll let you tell the farms that. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the environment that's already on farm. But um, I imagine sometimes with lambing, you've got help coming on to the farm. You've got extra personnel. You might have the vets as well. So can we talk a little bit about the human element of biosecurity? The human element around lambing, we're, we've obviously got some you know, trained shepherds and, 
and we may be getting some help perhaps from vet students so we're looking at, at training are they happy um you know knowing when to intervene with a lambing ewe uh when to seek assistance as well and do we have sort of guidelines are, are they happy on farm of knowing when to intervene with a lambing ewe so um as vets we can really help with that and provide lambing courses um, at Pembode. obviously this year with covid we can't have those one-to-one or, you know, small group sessions where we can have our lambing simulator and discuss um, different protocols and different presentations of lambing. But certainly as, as vets, we can provide an online service. Um, and Pembode, I know several other vet partner practices are running online courses this year. And as well, the vet is always at the end of the phone. If you have any questions, um, certainly ring your, ring your local vet up and, and ask away. That's what we're there for with equipment as well um so talking about planning ahead uh really want to make sure we get all of that prepared well and ahead for lambing for that start date because inevitably one ewe is going to lamb early so you want to make sure you get there well before she even thinks about it and one of the biggest things is hot water make sure you've got hot water in your lambing shed um as a vet i it's it's just uh, i just almost cry with happiness when i get a bucket of warm water given to me when lambing and it, it's scale force winds outside and you've got that bucket of warm water next to you it's, it's just amazing um, and just having that bucket of hot water means you can be clean and safe whilst you're lambing that year and making sure you've got all your lambing equipment ready uh, raring to go so you've got you know clean fresh ropes you know your lambing ropes might have seen better days make sure that they're clean and easy easy to clean as well Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a head snare, plenty of lubricant. The first thing I was ever told when I went on my lambing placement as a student was an ounce of lube saves a, a ton of pressure. And that is so true. It's, you know, get the lube in there, long gloves, just gentle. And, you know, your you will fa- thank you for it. University in like Dickensian times when empirical <laughs> units. <laughs> I'm from the southwest. We're, we're all in empirical round down here. <laughs> I suppose I should say 25 grams. <laughs> it doesn't sound as cool. No. <laughs> Let's stick with it. We just got, you can never have enough lube. And it was a, a life lesson. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So yeah, make sure you're all, you're all prepared, ready for lambing. So you've got the first pea sorted, you're, you're planned and you're ready to go. So that leads us on to the second P, which is how can we prevent disease during lambing? This is really all based on um, environmental measures and good hygiene during lambing. The first thing is that um, if you're lambing outside, have you got sufficient shelter? Is it a nice sheltered field? Or if you're lambing inside, um, have you got a nice, clean, dry, draft free shed? Looking at pens, have you got isolation pens for sick lambs? And really crucially, have you got an isolation pen for aborting ewes? they can be a source of enzootic abortion with their infected discharges. So you want them as far away as possible from your in-lamb ewes and your um, ewe lambs that are on the ground. You want to make sure that you've got plenty of fresh, clean, non-mouldy, non-damp bedding available and plenty of dry disinfectant powder ready to clean those pens in between um, lambings. And one of the most important things you can do is make sure you've got your 10% strong iodine ready for when those lambs are born. You're going to dip those navels straight away. And I can't recommend enough using like a teat dip cut, what they use in, during milking, to really get the navel completely dipped and, and covered in that iodine. 
And are you are you like solely an iodine fan? Is it far superior to any other kind of uh, navel dips? Um, I would say, yeah, a 10% strong iodine is, is up there. There's a few other different marketable ones, but anything sort of, yeah, 10% strong iodine, perhaps of an alcohol base as well. If the navels aren't drying, um, you want to be rechecking all navels after 24 hours. Anything that hasn't dried, re-dip again. You can't re-dip too much. You yeah. may waste a bit of iodine, but it's better to waste a bit of iodine than to lose a lamb. One, you've got those navels dipped and the lambs, you know, they've got that maternal bond. Um, turn them out as soon as possible. The lambing shed, as great as it is, is a, a source of infection. So turn them out when you can. And again, we've, we've talked about equipment, but it's so important as well. And this is coming from my dairy side to make sure that your equipment is cleaned and disinfected between uses, um, especially that milk feeding equipment. So your stomach tubes, buckets, teats, as bacteria can grow so quickly on milk films left on the equipment. And AHDB have actually got a milk feeding equipment protocol that has been produced for cow rearers, but it's still applicable for sheep farmers. And the, the basis behind it is making sure that you rinse off any milk residues left on the stomach tube or, or the bucket and teat in just a, a warm water. You don't want to have it too hot because it'll actually cook the milk proteins that are left on the stomach tube and it, that will adhere it to the, the stomach tube or, or teat and make it difficult to clear then. And that'll be a perfect environment for bacteria to grow. So you're going to flush it first and then you're going to soak in sort of a detergent or bleach solution. Then you're going to scrub it and, and wash in a, in a higher temperature, sort of 50 degrees. Then you're going to rinse and then put an acid san sanitizer on it and then let it air dry. And, and that will then, um, you know, clear those potential biofilms and make it a nice, nice safe um, equipment to, to use and like I said before we've got to have that really good hygiene during lambing so always wear lung gloves because if you're lambing um, with, without wearing gloves you've got cracks in your hands it's cold it's wet they're chapped you'll have bacteria in the cracks of your hands and you could potentially be transferring bacteria from one you to another and also from a zoonotic disease point of view you could be transferring that bacteria to yourself and make you very poorly so it, it's so important to, to wear those gloves. I think a lot of the time when, when people don't want to wear gloves, they'll, they'll talk about their lack of dexterity and such with them on, which I can sympathise with. But the, the thing that really hits home is people go, oh, oh, don't worry about me. I'm not bothered about myself. But when you say you actually could be harming the you and then subsequent use that you lamb, that's a whole new level of motivation to do it. Exactly. And as we're talking about before with those enzootic use, you know, if she's aborted due to um, enzootic abortion, she will have those infective discharges in her. If you lambed her and took those lambs off, you could have that um, chlamydophila bacteria on your hands. And if, if your hands aren't cleaned and scrubbed really well, and then you lamb the next year, you could be infecting her. So it, it's so important to, to wear gloves. And from a zoonotic disease point of view as well, you know, it's potential you could bring that disease back into your house. And if you have immunocompromised individuals in your house or, or pregnant women, we just can't take that risk. Uh, and that aspect applies to, um, you know, many other diseases. It's not just enzootic abortion. You know, there's toxoplasma and Q fever, some salmonella, campylobacter, the listeria, ORF, 
these are all things that we can pick up and are nasty. Nobody wants wants it. Some of these are really nasty as well. And and to be honest, in, in the time of COVID, and I know I'm sorry I've said the C word, the last thing you want to be doing is is wasting your time and potentially putting yourself in more danger by getting a pre, you know a preventable disease and then compounding it with you know with the COVID risk of, of getting medical help. It's not the one. So exactly. And and, and talking of COVID, it's so important to make sure that we're having a COVID safe lambing environment. So you do need to take your lamb, you know, you do need to take your ewe in, into the practice to be lambed or the, the vet comes out to you. We need to make sure it's COVID safe for every party involved. So let your vet know if potentially you're shielding or self-isolating or whether someone is positive in your family. So we can take certain procedures into account. And then there's, there's a few different things we can do to make it safe. So the vet can lamb the ewe standing up. So we can use a halter and, and tie the ewe to a gate. Or um, there's another harness called the adoptive lamb sheep harness, where um, this harness is, is put on the ewe and the harness is attached to a gate. So the, the ewe is sort of attached to the gate and, and can't lie down. And that means we can lamb her also um, standing up. Mm-hmm. Also, there's another piece of equipment called the gambrel restrainer. And that's a piece of equipment where the ewe will be lying down um, and um, you know that they're quite relaxed whilst you're doing it and it just means that everyone can keep their distance from each other but whilst also um, lambing in a safe way. Yeah. I think PPE often lulls us into a false sense of security like oh I'm wearing a mask you're wearing a mask everything will be fine but really we do need to, to prioritize um, you know looking after each other because you're not going to be able to lamb anything while you're laid up and also if if we have disease transmission the other way, vet practices could close as a result of it. So we need to take it super seriously whilst maintaining animal welfare. And they're great ways to do it. And also I prefer lambing stuff standing up. I've got more room. Definitely. <laughs> and like you say, it's our busiest time of year. If you're ill and, and you can't lamb and your vet practice is shut down, it's, it's not great for everyone. Um, so, so that's the second P, prevent disease. So the third P is protect your flock. So with this, we're looking at vaccination of your ewes, making sure they're fit and well fed, uh, looking at bodily condition scoring and making sure that they're in the best possible health before lambing. So looking at lameness and that they're, they're dagged and clean. So by having fit and well fed ewes, you will provide good quality colostrum to your lambs. So really, we need to make sure that they are the correct body condition score at lambing. So if we're looking at lowland ewes, they want to be condition score three at lambing. And if we go right back to tapping, they want to be 3.5. And it, it's so important that we should be body condition scoring use. I mean, throughout the entire year, but especially tapping throughout pregnancy and then mm. at lambing to make sure that we're feeding them correctly uh, and, you know, treating them, whether that's, you know, to move thinner use up into the next group. So thin singles being fed with the doubles and um, because a, a thin you, she's going to have an increased risk of what we call failure of passive transfer. So she's going to have poor quality colostrum. Therefore, her lambs are going to get poor quality colostrum. They're not going to get as many antibodies as they should do. Therefore, they're more likely to get disease. They're more likely to have a high mortality in these lambs. And the ewes as well have you know, poor maternal behaviour. So it's so important that we need to be body condition scoring these ewes and moving them into the appropriate groups to make sure they get fed properly pre-lambing. But equally not too high because then you're going to have to mess about with a stuck lamb. From a exactly yeah puts your biosecurity back on the table doesn't it you know you wouldn't have needed to interfere if she hadn't been too porky to, to pass a lamb <laughs> exactly we want them fit not fat 
So um, yeah, vaccination as well is, is, is a big point and we want to protect the ewe and the lamb. So this is going back to where we want to plan ahead for lambing right at tapping, you know, before tapping, where we're looking at getting our abortion vaccines into the ewes. So mm-hmm. the, the two most common causes of abortion are enzootic abortion and toxoplasmosis. And there are two vaccines on the market for this, but they both need to be given four weeks pre, or a minimum of four weeks pre-tapping. So it's so important we've, we've got them on board and we've got our fit used ready. And then we've got our Clostridia and Pastorella vaccines. Um, so a common one is Heptavac P. And these, these vaccines need to be given four to six weeks pre-lambing for the use booster. The reason behind that is that allows the use then to make antibodies against these diseases so that they'll then be passed to the newborn lambs through the clostrum, through passive transfer. And then those lambs will be protected for the first few weeks to months of their life against these diseases. I assume also it's probably worth considering if anything that you've brought in over the past year you, you must be aware of its vaccine status and get it onto the same regime that your farm is used to, right? Of course, definitely. Yeah. And, and part of your quarantine procedure with your vet should be discussing, you know, the vaccine schemes you've already got on farm and, and how to get these new replacement news onto the schemes as soon as possible. So with the um, the Pastorella and, and Clostridial vaccine, what you can do is actually incorporate their primary course in with their booster. So if For example, we're talking about lambing on the 1st of March. We always want our pre-lambing booster to be four to six weeks prior to that. So we'll say that their booster is the 1st of February. But with any primary course, we're always looking at giving two injections four to six weeks apart. So we can combine the primary course and the booster to give the first dose of their primary course on the 1st of January and their second dose of their primary course on the 1st of February. And that 1st of February counts as their booster. So you wow. can combine the two. So you're not wasting money on, mm. you know, a, an extra dose of vaccine that's all combined together. Yeah, that's super handy, especially for small flocks that might not actually um, get a full bottle's worth of, of doses, you know. So that's that's really, really handy. Definitely. Yeah. We want to make we want to make sure that when the ewes are entering the lambing shed, the sound and foot, we don't want lame ewes potentially carrying infectious lameness. Well, I hear this a lot. Like, I know she's a bit lame, but she's going to lamb next week. So I don't want to turn her over. Or I don't want to, to treat the foot. So where's where's the middle ground there? I, I think you're right. You know, we do really want to avoid turning heavy and lamb ewes over to inspect the feet. In those cases where they're so close to lambing, I would examine as, as, as much as you can without causing distress to the ewe, but I probably wouldn't turn her over. And I would look at giving a systemic antibiotic but this needs to be discussed with your vet for the most appropriate one for your you at that time and one of the big things I would certainly discuss with your vet is the lameness five point plan Mm -hmm. and one of the really important aspects of that is treating lameness cases quickly um, promptly and isolating them from the the non-lame use so if you've got a lame you in your in your you pen that is yet to lamp take her out and put her in her in your isolation pen that you've got ready as long as there's not another you in there <laughs> we don't we don't want a party we just want one you in there and, and therefore you're removing that source of infection from the rest of the ewes you're you're reducing the chance that they are going to pick up this infectious lameness the the, the lambing shed is the perfect storm really for lameness you, you've got sheep close together with 
potential infectious lameness such as foot rot and cod and they can just spread it through and the amount of calls I get around lambing for lameness and sheep you know it is it is the biggest area of antibiotic usage on farms and yeah we, we just need to try and reduce it. So have we hit all of your three points now? Yes we've done the plan prevent protect. That's cool thank you very much. You know, it's, it's coming into this podcast about biosecurity as a whole. I did expect to sort of talk more about, you know, oh, vehicle washes coming in and, you know, vets being clean on and off and personnel being clean on and off. But what it's made me realise is that biosecurity challenges come from within as well. Um, and just because you sort of on off policies are, are really, really good doesn't mean that you don't have the potential for disease and also the potential for improvement Definitely. I, I, I think I think everyone, you know, every flock has areas to improve on. And that's where going back to making sure that you've got a good record of what's happened during lambing, not just looking at numbers of dead lambs, but the reason for death. Yeah. So did they were they born dead? Did they die within the first 24, 48 hours or did they die after turnout? And AHDB do have some really good figures and um, they're looking at you know, less than 6% losses of total lamb scanned between scanning and birth, then another, you know, trying to beat the target of less than 6% losses between birth and turnout. And then post turnout, we should be looking at less than 2% losses. So that comes to less than 14% of all lamb scanned being lost from scanning through to sale. Which I think is a reasonable target. And don't worry, um, for anyone listening, you don't need to write all of these things down. We can link to all the <laughs> resources that we've talked about in, in the notes of the podcast um, so that you can refer to them at any time. Um, I tend to like to ask people this question because you can always go onto podcasts and do interviews and then think, oh, I wish I'd said the thing. So what is it? Have you got anything that we haven't asked you that you would like to talk about? Lambing is is one of the most stressful and exciting times of the year, but it is most importantly and, and crucially, it's the time for making the farm profitable because you're aiming to produce as many lambs as possible as quickly as possible to be sold fat or to rear replacements to be kept or sold. So we want as many lambs as possible to survive from birth to sale because they are the farm's profit. I think that's a wonderful point to wrap up on. Thank you so much for summarising that so beautifully, Sarah. And thank you for all of your insights today. No problem. It was great to be here. I think um, lambing is a, is a really t- tough and exciting time, but it's also a time that we must be collaborative. I know I personally have really enjoyed being on farm with an agronomist, a nutritionist and the farmer and working as a team to make this work. So that's why I would be really interested to hear you guys feed back to us on uh, the Vetspective hashtag on Twitter or on our socials like Facebook. I'd love to hear your tips for biosecurity and also to know how your lambing is going if you've already started. Um, And let's hope that 2021 starts very well for all of our sheep farmers. We will be back in a month's time, but for now, please don't forget to like and subscribe to the Vetspective for Farmers podcast and do tune into our sister podcast, Vetspective for Vets, if you indeed are a vet and would like to listen. If you want some more advice from your local vet, please visit the Vet Partners website, which is vetpartnersgroup.com to find your local practice. <laughs>